Welcome to the PR Moment Podcast. Produced in association with the Marketeers Network. Welcome to this latest PMO podcast. And this week we're chatting to Heather Kernahan, who is Global Chief Executive Officer at Hotwire. And we're going to talk to her about Hotwire and her career story. For those of you that don't know, or indeed just want a bit of an update, Hotwire has about 500 employees globally and about 90 in London. And it's got about offices in, in about 11 countries, would you believe, uh, which uh, has grown a lot since those early days in 2000. Heather joined Hotwire when it acquired Eastwick in the US in 2016, and she became CEO in 2021, following Barbara Bates' move to the holding company in Nero. Before joining Eastwick, Heather had a senior comms role at Autodesk in the US. Hotwire was founded in 2000 and acquired by what has now become in Nero in 2007, I should say. It's recently been on something of an acquisition trail, purchasing three B2B sales and marketing firms in the last 18 months or so, um, McDonald Butler Associates in the UK, BeGetIt in Asia, and San Francisco-based ROI DNA. Before we start, a plug for the Pyramid Awards 2023. They're now open for entries, so do check out the awards microsite, pyramidawards.com. We've got a bunch of new categories, including a bunch of new tech categories, I should add. Um, so do make sure you download the new entry form because there are a number of changes to that for 2023. Uh, thanks so much to the PR Moment podcast sponsors, the PRCA. Heather, welcome to the show. Finally, I'm here, Ben. Thank you. Yes, Finally. This one's been in, in the pipeline for a while, hasn't it? Um, now, as I, as a CEO of arguably the, the world's largest um, tech PR firm, I'm sure I'll get some letters in about that. Um, but how is the, the the technology PR economy at, at the moment? Because we've seen a fair few redundancies within the tech sector in the last few weeks. I'm looking at you, Meta and, and Twitter. Um, and I guess that's bound to, to filter through to the PR market fairly quickly. Oh, yes, it's a market full of news right now. And I think that in the tech industry, we're going to see a lot more news over the coming few months, uh, if the past couple of weeks have been any indication. So for us, it's we're really getting two types of signals from the market right now. We are seeing these layoffs, of course, and they're impacting some comms departments at Twitter, for example. I think all of the comms department was let go except for a few people. We see the pipeline is still strong. So people are still coming with RFPs. They're looking for proposals. And this is around the world when I look at Hotwire. Uh, but at the same time, people are saying, I really need to watch and see what's going to happen over the next couple months before I can go on a big project that I had planned or um, investments that we had thought we would make for next year. We're going to look cautiously at those. So that's what we're seeing. It's mixed signals right now. And I think we've just got to see the economy play out a little bit longer to, to see what direction it's going to go. And just give us an insight into the the, the U.S. market. I mean, uh, we've just got some some. Um... Uh, economic results over here, which are um, the economy shrunk, I think, by about 0.6% or something like that. So so not not compared to COVID periods, you know, we, we can probably deal with that. But wh where, where is the US? Is that is that broadly similar in terms of uh, the retraction? The news has been broadly similar, US, UK, but overnight, uh, or maybe it was yesterday, I saw that inflation shrunk in the US, which was the first early sign that maybe there's a bit of uh, good news on the horizon and the markets came back up as a result of that. So so the U.S. is, yeah, I, I'd say all over the world when I look at all the countries, uh, inflation is an issue everywhere. 
What's interesting in the tech industry, though, there are these, you know, there's different segments of tech organizations and there's resilient tech businesses, I would say. There's things like security. The needs for security companies is going to continue to increase. Yeah. Um, Cybersecurity. The cloud is going to be needed, isn't it? You know what I mean? So Absolutely. Yeah. There's lots of statistics out there about digital transformation, although we've been talking about it in tech for more than a decade, that it's actually for most businesses just getting going in a significant way. So people still have to buy. So I think tech and innovation stories have to continue to be told, even if markets go up, if, even if they go down, you know, tech holds steady over the long run. And that's what why we stay invested in tech and in innovation. Um, yes. I, I just so just give us a flavor, um, because the, I don't know, about 80 percent of the audience for this podcast are, U, are UK. Um, yeah. About 20 percent actually are US um, um, as well. But what? When we're looking at the the US PR market over the last couple of years, again, has it been pretty similar to the UK? And it's done pretty well, frankly. We, yes. We've had a decent COVID and um, budgets have gone up. People have wanted more counsel. Um, the breadth of work across public relations has, that public relations PR the departments and agencies are doing has increased. All those things are basically the same in, in, in the US, right? But obviously bigger because it's a bigger market and budgets. That's right. But, but the trends are pretty much the same. They are. And that's, I think it's been a huge benefit for every PR person around the world is that suddenly executive teams are saying, we better have communications in the room right now with us as we handle these big issues that are coming up. And I, I feel because it's been a sustained period of time where executives and businesses have needed PR and communications people, that's not going to go away now. We're not going to see a backtrack and get kicked out of boardrooms, but suddenly um, because of COVID, there is that acceleration of our profession and that's good for us. I mean, we're, we're dealing with very complex issues and people need to figure out how do you tell this story cleanly, clearly to the audiences that matter. And that's what we do. Executives need us. Yeah. And, and it'd be interesting to observe, actually, when it, over this, I don't want to talk ourselves into a session, but, but, you know, maybe let's say there is. Right. But it'd be interesting to observe a lot of the work that you would have thought that PR and comms people will have been doing, hopefully quite well and successfully over the last few years, is that council type work and that um that communication strategy type work and that that's not that's pretty recession proof isn't it to, to a large extent um compared to some of the the the, the other types of, of marketing communications that, that that happen yes that's right because foundationally businesses still need to grow no matter what's going on in the economy they're going to have a growth agenda they're going to have to have an innovation agenda the other uh, change that i've seen is that businesses do need to have a purpose and a value that they communicate clearly to their employees and their future employees and their audiences, they need comms for that. That's a strategic part of the a business plan now that's not going to go away. So there, there are these uh, very sustained strategic level needs for communications people over the next yeah, decades ahead. It's a good time for us. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope yes. so. I'm, I'm touching wood. I am. Um, now, um, as I mentioned in my intro, Hotwire... You know, you're not, you're not the only firm making acquisitions, but you're making more acquisitions than most PR firms at the moment. Um, what opportunities uh, do you think you guys are seeing that your peers are not? Yeah, I actually see a lot of acquisitions happening in the market. I mean, when I'm reading the industry publications and there's a lot of talk about firms being acquired, lots of different firms acquiring each other these days. Well, we set out a strategy a couple of years ago to fill in a, a, an area of our business where we didn't have deep capability. And that was in revenue generating services. And even before the start of the pandemic, but of course the pandemic accelerated it, our clients were saying, help us connect to the sales of the businesses that we work with. How can you help us with that? 
So we were started to doing demand generation campaigns and, and um, revenue driving campaigns. But when we thought, when we looked ahead and we do a three-year planning outlook, we said, okay, over time, we believe our clients are going to ask us more for this service. So we wanted to fill in that capability. We've got reputation capabilities and relationship capabilities. And now it's time to see how we can look for revenue capabilities. And so McDonald Butler was the first acquisition we did, as you said, in 21 here in the UK. Loved having that team joined us. And for the first time we could see and show clients, this is how you take your brand narrative all the way through to generating a pipeline and closing and building loyalty and then bringing it back again. So when that was proving successful, we said, let's set our sights on the U.S. and look for an acquisition to do there. And then we also wanted to fulfill more of our global footprint. And we did the acquisition of Get It out of Singapore. So that's the strategy that we've been executing over the past couple of years. And now we've got a, a global solution that we're going to bring together over the next year. Right. And how does that work in terms of how you position Hotwire then? Does it, are you, do you still call yourself a public relations firm or I mean I know these things can be a bit academic and maybe it doesn't really matter but I just uh, do you see yourself more as a marketing consultancy now well we talk about ourselves as a communications consultancy a tech communications consultancy and and a lot of clients don't parse that out they just come to us with a problem and say can you help me with this yes or no you know and then okay, great. You can help me with it. Show me how you can help me. So I think whether you say public relations or communications or, or marketing, it's like, can you solve the problem for the clients that you're working with today and tomorrow? Right. Um, that was launched as I was researching this, this, this show, I, I suddenly don't want to be launched in, in 2000 in London. So, you know, a long time. That's ago. right. Um, um, 22 years ago, for those of you who are not so good at maths, um, do you think Hotwire will be the last UK founder PR firm to have a, a global presence? There's an argument it will be, won't it? Well, tell me more about that question. Is it the last PR firm that's London founded to have a global presence? Yeah. Well, it's a tough thing to do to, as a as a public relations firm to go to go around the world, isn't it? Historically, uh, I'll give some context. Historically, yes. PR, the way PR firms have gone around the world is to, in essence, follow their clients, right? Um and it's definitely well. If you look at the the, the firms that have gone multi-territory, I mean, we can have another debate about what global means, but let's yes. say global multi multi-territory. We'll, we'll combine those two those two terms. Um, it's been easier for tech firms to do it than let's say consumer firms, and it's been easier for corporate firms to do it than um, that the consumer firms because that that the, the, the consumer tastes tend to not travel so well, basically. But anyway, mm. I digress a little bit. My thinking was that. There's not too many British clients, firms that you can follow around the world now as a as a as a British PR firm, which is essentially what Weber did. Um, Hotwire made that jump into the US, and that's worked out. So I just it's yeah. an interesting hypothesis. I think it's a tough thing to do now for a PR for a UK based PR firm. I, I should add. I, I should mm -hmm. add by the way that there are a number of examples of PR UK PR firms that have launched in other territories, but you it's a bit early to call them frankly global. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I, you know, I don't, I probably can't answer that directly. I don't know enough about the firms that are up and coming in this market. What I do see is a lot of innovation in the comms community here. Uh, as I told you earlier, I've been here for a couple of months now and going to lots of events, meeting lots of people, talking to lots of different consultancies and agencies and seeing what's happening in the industry. And I mean, even when you look at people who've worked at Hotwire and who have left and started their own consulting businesses, there's a lot of them. There's I'm loads. really there's look. There's look. I'm so proud of that, Ben. 
I, I truly am. I love that people have learned enough about industry and about business, and they've been able to go off and successfully launch their own businesses. So that's what I like about this market. I think there's a lot of innovation. If you're going to do creativity, well, you know, you got to be in London, that's for damn sure. Yeah. And so I think, you know, anything's possible. Is but I'm, I'm an optimist. The there's no doubt about that. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, you go ahead. Um, you studied for an MBA, which which I love. Just just talk us a, a, a bit about that, because I'm a bit naive to MBAs, and maybe some of our listeners are as well. W- what is an MBA? What did your study involved? How did you benefit from it? How long did it take? Yeah, sure. So uh, Master's of Business Administration, it's really learning all about business. That's the very simple way I would describe the MBA. I did a an arts undergrad. I did a one-year public relations diploma. I didn't learn anything about business in either of those. And I got to the point in my career where I wanted to aim for a C-suite title. So I I looked around and said, it was a CMO. That's what I want it to be. I saw CMOs typically had business training with an MBA. So I went back to to school and I did nights and weekends. Probably it should have taken me about four years to get my MBA. It took me six. This this was during your time at Autodesk, right? When you were- Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, yeah. Uh, Roughly what date are we talking there then? So how- uh... I started in 2007. I think I started my MBA and I came to Autodesk through an acquisition of the company that I was with. I moved to San Francisco. And so I did my MBA when I got there. I thought I'm going to be in the States for two years. I'm going to turbocharge my career, do this MBA and get it done. But, uh, you know, six years later, but well worth it. Well, I mean, six years, I don't, that's, I mean, even four years is a long time, right? But six years is, uh, you know, that's, um, that's a, you knew that when you start I mean you maybe didn't think it would be six but you knew it before if you see what I mean that's a big undertaking isn't it it's a, a you know long-term commitment it's massive uh but I've always had a long-term outlook on my career so I thought if I want to be a CMO it's going to take me uh, at that time I thought maybe a decade honestly to get from where I was to be a chief marketing officer so I thought oh four years for an MBA that okay and that I mean I had a daughter who was very young and a husband I was traveling all the time for work I felt like that's a manageable amount of time and at one point during the MBA, I, I had had my second child and thought, I can't do this anymore and called my sister and said, I'm not going to go back to school for the next semester. And she said, well, that's fine. You know, you can quit, but just be able to look at your kids in a couple of years and tell them why you quit. And I was like, oh, forget it. Right. I got to go back and finish this thing I started. And I just kept sight on my goal. Right. I wanted to be but, a CMO. But there's an interesting story, isn't it? You were you were in a corridor or something looking in a room with the oh, yeah. street, and 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 a colleague said to you you said why are you not in there and the, the colleague said everyone in that room's got an MBA or, or words to that effect is that basically yeah well the story is when I was at Autodesk there was this big boardroom the, the glass all glass boardroom the CEO had his staff meetings and I would always look at, around at who's in that meeting and so my boss who is the head of PR I asked her who's in that room and she told me the titles of each person and I said okay, the CMO's in there. Why isn't the head of PR in there? And she said, well, I report to the CMO. And I just had this feeling like I want to be in that room. And so I better figure out what do I have to do to be in that room? And I have to be a CMO and I better go get my MBA. Right. And I did it in sustainable enterprise. We talked to, you know, about that a little bit. And, well, well, that, you know, that was what I was going to say. Is the yeah. That's what I don't quite. So you do the, uh, an MBA, a master's in business administration. Uh, when you start off, did you you specialized in sustainable? What did you sustainable just enterprise is what it was called. And, and did do you make that decision halfway through your MBA, or, or did you? Is that something you have to decide before you begin? If you see what I mean. Yeah, I decided before I began. Met, right. There's some MBAs that have a focus, and and others that are quite open, and it's just broad business. 
I wanted to do sustainable enterprise because I, you know, I grew up in, in Canada and I was living in California, looking around at what trends were happening around me and investments in clean technology by the venture capitalist firms were skyrocketing. Um, the rise of the um, power of the employee was starting to happen where employees were saying to their companies they work for, what are your values? And they better align with mine. Right. So I could see these trend lines begin. And I thought if I do a sustainable enterprise focus, I still get the MBA, the core of the business understanding, but I also get the, this other lens on it. And I use my MBA every single day in my job. Even really? today, there's something from that MBA I use. Right. So you found it really useful, I guess, is what I was just going to... 100%. Right. Yes. And presumably you earn more money because you did it, I would assume. I, I think I do. Yeah. I mean, and, and I've got more options do, do now and into you, the future. I mean, listen, this is purely... We, we don't know, right? But do you reckon you'd have, you'd have got the CEO role at Hotwire and you had done your MBA? What do you reckon? Gosh, I don't know about that. It was, it's not really about the MBA. It was more about the aspiration that it ignited in me. Gotcha. Okay. So and so and, to a large extent, as opposed to CV, CV ticking, it's yes. personal growth and, 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 and what you do within your role and, and how good you are, I suppose. Yeah. And just ambition. Okay. You know, I've, I've always been pretty ambitious. Uh, I was a hor I did was a horrible student at university. I barely passed university. But when I got working, that's when my ambition kicked in. And so as I did my MBA, near the final part of my MBA, I had a finance professor talk about some financials and said, if you're going to be a CEO, here's what you need to know. And I said, oh, I just want to be a chief marketing officer. And this guy said, Heather, you're being trained to be a chief executive. So you better think of at that level. And that ambition, that idea that that was possible for me never would have come unless I was in that program. So then suddenly I thought, okay, now I can think differently about what I could achieve and what kind of jobs I can have. And so wow. that ambition led me eventually to this job. And was it really hard work or just hard work? You know what I mean? Is it, was it like, <laughs> a lot of people listening to the show have probably gone to university. So they've done an undergraduate um, yeah. course, which frankly, you haven't got other responsibilities at that time in your life. So it's a bit easier, but compared to how much, how much volume, how much, how testing is it? Really testing. And so a lot of people will come and say, should I do my MBA too? And I always ask the first question, why do you want it? Okay. Because that why has to help you through your 1am class session. I mean, I used to, I'd work all day, uh, come home, do some stuff with the kids. The kids would go to bed about 10 p.m. is when I would say, okay, from 10 to 1 or 10 to 2, that will be my MBA time right. Where on, when I'm working on things. And it was probably anywhere between 10 to 25 hours a week of schoolwork any, when I was in class and actively taking classes. So it is very, very hard work. And I always had to come back to why am I doing this? Why? Yeah. It's like, I, I want something better for myself. I want to be able to give myself a lot of options with my career, and this is going to do it. Wow! And you, and this, but, the, the, just for people out there, because it does sound like an absolute, you know, um, you don't regret it one one bit. Um, no, yeah. no. Yeah. And there's people on my team who are doing their MBAs right now, and you know, it ha sometimes it's really easy, it feels great, and then other times they're really struggling and wondering if they should continue on with the with it. And so we'll talk about that. You know, what? Why are you? Do, why are you doing this? Much, and if they're, I, I hope this isn't a, a rude question, but it is the elephant in the room. How, how much does it cost? Really? How much is it doing it roughly? Right. I mean, I'm yeah. not asking you to, to nail it to the to that last pound. No. And, and my data is a little old now, too, because I started in 2007 uh, doing my MBA. I think probably it was a 45 or 50,000 US total 
right. when I was doing it. Yeah. So it's not Somewhere inexpensive, around. is it? You, you know, to, to uh, it's you, you got you you if you if you've got to do that as a as a private individual, it's not yes, not, it's not cheap. Um, obviously, it's a bit different if you employ a place. Um, okay, that's uh, really interesting because uh, another thing we were talking about before was the the idea that we need more more business people in PR, yes. um, which is something I I think we've come a long old way in that in the last. You know, I can be a bit of a cynic at times. I'm aware, but I, I genuinely think PR's come a, a long way in the last five, 10, 15 years on that. Um, but you yeah. have got a bit further to go. We have come a long way, and the whole profession is more business oriented than it has been. I'm, I absolutely agree with you because I've been working for 30 years, so I've been part of seeing that transformation happen. But I'm just going to continue to push. You know, push all people working in comms and PR is really understand business. No, at the very least, whatever business you're working for, understand what the revenue is, what the business strategy is, what the profit targets are. Start to understand the the business foundations of what you work in, because ultimately the job that we have needs to be tied to whatever the business objectives are. So if you don't understand it, just start by asking questions. What are the business goals we're working towards? Right. Um, now you spent time in-house on agency side is related to that point, I suppose. How do those roles compare, would you say? Yeah, I always talk about, um, you know, going in-house is going deep into a, an a company, a topic, a technology, uh, an expertise, whatever it is. So I spent a long time, I think almost 20 years inside technology companies going really deep with them. Had a great time, loved it when I was doing that. And then agency side, when we talked about this, I talked about my excitement. You get to work with all kinds of different companies, see all kinds of different business models, experience all kinds of executive teams. So that's what I would say. It's it's breadth versus um, depth when you think about the difference. But when you were in house, presumably you 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 love that. So it was only when you came yes. into agency work. When you worked in house, did you think, oh, I don't want to go into work into agencies, or, <laughs> or were you always a little bit intrigued? Well, I had done an internship when I was coming off of my PR certification, yeah. three month internship at an agency, and I did not like it. I was <laughs> very very bad at it. I had a terrible experience. I got in all kinds of trouble all the time. Right. And so based on that three months, I thought this is not for me. I can't, okay. I can't do this. I better go inside a company and, and work there. Yes. Um, but then you went to Eastwick and, uh, and, and so you didn't really know, you didn't know it was going to work when you went there, did you? I mean, no, no. A gamble, right. Um, and just talk a little bit about that because you were um, at Eastwick and then Eastwick got bought by Hotwire just to, to, to um, remind listeners um, yes. And it's kind of a nice story that the the person who was it sounds slightly odd the person who was acquired um, if, if you get my drift then yes. became has become the, the, the global CEO so which is how was that because did you I suppose yeah. initially when when Hotwire acquired Eastwick were you thinking oh blimey I'm not sure how this is going to work out for me or, or were you immediately um, uh, wrapped up in the, the momentum of it all. Well, there's always some doubt, you know, any big change. So many of us have gone through so many changes in our career. So it was a big change. I really was looking forward to it because we had done a lot of work with Hotwire over the years because Eastwick was, Eastwick was only in the U.S. So anytime I had a client who wanted to go into U.K. or Europe, I'd call Hotwire and say, let's work together. So I knew them well. The values were the same. Um, and then the acquisition happened. And I thought, now we're on a global stage. We're no longer Eastwick, we're part of Hotwire, but we're on a global stage. And at that point, I was running the US and Barbara Bates, who was the founder of Eastwick, she uh, shortly after the acquisition got promoted to global CEO. So she held that job for about four years. 
and was able to bring everything that was um, great about tech and innovation coming out of Silicon Valley, where she spent her whole career to all of Hotwire around the world. And then working closely with Barbara and then I was promoted last year. Right. So I was looking forward to it, but of course, a little nervous. Right. Uh, did you, because there's some, there must be some cultural uh, elements. We just talk about them a little bit. Did, did the cultures of, I mean, you, you, maybe you can tell me they aligned perfectly and there was never a moment of difficulty, but, but the, the, the PR firms do have quite specific cultures and the people and, and all that. They're, they're, they're businesses of personalities, aren't they? Um, so, so how did that go between the, uh, I suppose the fact that it was a, in a sense, there were two, there were two different businesses that were combining. There wasn't, you weren't trying to merge two offices. I suppose that helped, did it? Yeah. And, but Hotwire did have a team in the U.S. already. So they had a team in New York, a small team, and then they had a small team in San Francisco. So, so that team. I say, but quite, compared to Eastwick, quite small. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, that's right. Yes. But we joined together in the U.S. And so, of course, we had to work through that, even the small team that was in the U.S. um, How does that all work? For us at Eastwick, it was probably more about how do we think as a global business? That was the cultural change that we needed to undertake is, okay, instead of going, okay, there's partners, we're used to that model, but actually, how do we operate as one team around the world? But we already were all ambitious, all of us together. And we had this sort of underdog mentality, I'd say, about us, which is there's so many other big consultancies out there that have great clients. And actually we aspire to do that too. So there was a lot the same, but that global mindset, we really needed to build into the Eastwick culture and, and change how we operated and how we thought about work. Right, well, it seems to have worked out. Um, yes. what, what are the big challenges would you say for tech PR firms at the moment? Um, for a few years, it's been talent, talent, talent. Is, is that, is it things moved on a bit? Well, I, mean, I think talent is the next, is still the next decade of comms. Right. I honestly do. I think it's a big challenge for us. And we have to continue to attract people into the industry and help explain a career path in consultancies and agencies so that they, the value is understood. So that will continue. You can attract them in at all levels, right? Do you mean? <gasps> all levels. Yes. All levels. Exactly. Yeah. Because what our clients ask for changes, I mean, things you, agencies you would consider typical PR agencies now have data scientists and analytics managers and uh, web interface designers. There's all these different skills that are required now inside what we call comms and PR agencies, but we've got to describe to those, those people with those experiences, how to, what's the value of building your career here. So talent is going to continue to be tight. And then it just, whatever happens with the economy over the next couple of years, that's going to be the other challenge to manage for, for all of us. And how does that challenge manifest itself then? Yeah, I think it's just all of us being smart about what's going on in the economies we work in, making sure our businesses are operationally very efficient, um, making changes when we need to, things like office space, for example. Many, 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 many agencies here have big offices and are they're downsizing or changing space size or just thinking about, okay, what's the future of work? What do our teams need? How do we meet together? And then what's the next outlook for us? And how, how big does Hotwire want to get? I mean, it's 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 had a it's had a cracking twenty two years, isn't it? Where, where's do you guys look at Edelman and go, that's where we want to get to? What, what's what's the what's the plan? But we don't aspire that way. We we what we aspire to is um, more about this three turn three year vision that we we're playing out right now, which is building our services around reputation, relationship, revenue. And we did these acquisitions. Say that again. That was too. I got yeah. concentrate. Say that again. Okay. <laughs> we. It's reputation, relationship, and revenue services. That's what we're really focused on over the next few years and building out our capabilities in all that areas. And I think that's a, you know, that's a really solid challenge um, for us to take out. We've got these acquisitions now that are filling in the 
the revenue capabilities portion of the business. I'm so excited to join up the communications capabilities we have with this revenue driving capability and bringing that whole stream to our clients, to our tech and innovation clients. Right. So that's that's the next few years. Right. But in terms of revenue growth, you, do you have a target? Do you have do you have a, an objective in mind? Do you want to grow by 10%, 20%, 50%? What 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 would you or is it more about the 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 application of that strategy? I don't know. It really is. It's about it's it's really about this capability set we have and what do our clients need. So it's understanding what do clients need next year, maybe, and then how do our capabilities help the clients next year? And working with clients that we want to work with and working on their business challenges. That I just say over and over in the business. Are we working on business challenges that are exciting? to our team, that help our team learn, that provide value to clients. Like if we can do that, clients we want to work with, bringing them the capabilities they need, those are, I mean, that's the foundational elements of a career that can accelerate over time. So that's what and I think. And it also moves, moves public relations up the food chain a little bit, doesn't it, by doing that? It has to, yes. Yeah. Um, and when we spoke before, you talked about how your career has benefited from, from having a stay-at-home husband, um, which is, uh, I think, something as a sector we probably don't talk about enough. Yeah. Yes. Um, my husband's been stayed home since our daughter was born. We had her in Canada and in Canada, either spouse can take a, the leave. And so my husband took the leave after I was home for three months. And just around the time he might, he was thinking about going back to work, we got moved to California with Autodesk, who had acquired my business, the business we were with. And during that move, I had a work visa, but he did not. And so he thought for a couple of years, he would stay home. And we we saw the benefit pretty quickly of me being able to travel grow in my career, you know, work later nights, all these things that we needed to do to make sure that I was being successful in my career. And then after that, we just made the decision that he would continue to stay home. We had our son and he's raised the kids um, being at home while I've been out building my career. And I think it it's really important to have a open conversation about whoever your partner is, as you're thinking about your careers, What what's this going to look like for us over time as we both add more responsibilities at home, but also want to have aspirations at work. Right. I mean, something we talk about in the UK, uh, I think as a, as a we, we haven't got that right in, in essence, but the um, that that early um, child support for parents. Um, mm. But it sounds like there was, am I right? I, I, clearly, I don't know the policy in Canada, but it sounds to me like the um, the, the legal support for um, uh, joint parental childcare in Canada was pretty a, a pretty important element to start that process for you and your husband. Is that is that is that right? Yeah, Canada is is progressive in their parental policy. So the mom has to be home for has to be home for the first three months, but then either parent can take nine months. And oh. so that gave us options. And so mm-hmm. I think when parents do have more options and more support, the easier it is to get started off well. And that sort of acted as the catalyst, if you like, to, to, to for a, a, a long-term change in 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 your planning and and your husband ending up staying at home. Yeah, that's right. We and we sacrificed a lot too. I mean, living on one salary in California, it, it's pretty darn hard. Yeah. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that. Uh, but we just thought about what's important to us now. We were not living near any family. We had nobody. Everyone was in Canada, so I wanted also the security of someone being with her all the time at that point, and then both kids. Brilliant. Well, it certainly seems to have worked out. And you're currently in London. Um, how, how long are you here for and and uh, are you enjoying it? Yeah, it's been about three months total. So I came in September and I'll head back to the West Coast in December. I'm really enjoying it. as I've had a front seat to all the political discussions and changes that have been happening. 
uh, the economy and what's happening here. And it's been uh, it's been very interesting. I've spent a lot of time with a lot of comms and tech people in London. It's interesting. I mean, yeah, as an outsider, do you I, I can't I can't quite work it out. It, have, have we seen uh, democracy working perfectly in action, if you see what I mean? So we, we get the wrong leader. And frankly, we all go, oh, my goodness, they're absolutely awful. And we kick them out pretty quick. Or, or ha- have you just is your have you just watched chaos <laughs> open up in front of you? What's your um, what, what, what's your perspective on that? It's very confusing, but being an outsider, I can ask a lot of people a lot of questions, very dumb questions, and, and I get a lot of opinions about it. What was most interesting to me is they called the government's Q&A or the, the PM's Q&A that they televise where they ask questions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Promises questions. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's it. To me, the, what's been most upsetting is to see how the behavior of the politicians in that environment is so separate from the actual uh, day-to-day experience of the people of the UK. I think it's incredibly disrespectful to the people of the UK, how they operate in that forum, very childlike. Uh, It seems like it's just very clubby and it has not a lot of connections. So I feel sad about that, but, you know, not unlike a lot of what happens in the US politics scene as well. No, it's as it's the mind boggles of the culture of the place to, 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 which ends up with, people were well, manifesting itself in that in the behavior yes. of the MPs isn't it it's uh, yeah it's it's kind of yes it's like it is like watching theater isn't it it's yes not like watching real life um and just to bring it back to PR I suppose do you, do you, the, the London PR scene any any thoughts on that as you um as you reflect of your three months here have you um have you hated every minute of it or have you quite <laughs> enjoyed yourself I really enjoyed myself it's vibrant there's, um, you know, CIPR and um, PRCA and all the different organizations that are running women in PR. I'm, I'm keeping track of them and what's going on. So with my team here, I keep saying there's so much happening in London in the comms and marketing space. Well, you have well, to get your, out there. From your last sentence, there's a lot of PR trade bodies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. OK, um, but, you, but you've had a nice time. And, and I mean, how does it compare to the US? Is that is it is it broadly similar? Is, I mean, you know, it's, I guess it rains, rains a bit more. But beyond that, what, what else are we talking yeah, I mean, it's the U.S. is so big, so there seems to be yeah. quite regional differences that ha- come up with in the industry. And here, because London is the hub, it does feel like, OK, we're all in, in close proximity to one another. We can go to events together. We can share together. Um, my one observation was that there's maybe not as much collaboration among agencies that I've seen on the West Coast in the U.S. as well. Uh, there's a group of us there that get together and talk about all of our troubles and worries all the time and share leads and share candidates around. And uh, I feel like I'm maybe not quite tapped into that part of the market here yet. Yeah, you're probably not in that gang yet. But um, yeah. maybe having listened to this podcast, they'll they'll give you a call. But someone um, will invite me. <laughs> yeah, Heather yeah. Kernahan, um, CEO of Hotwire Globally. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the PR Moment podcast, produced in association with the Marketeers Network. If you'd enjoyed the show, please do review us on iTunes and give us a decent rating.